0: Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Mermaid on Land. In this episode, I have a childhood friend of mine named Crystal. Crystal is somebody that I have always admired and always looked up to and always thought very highly of. And so I'm very happy to have been able to interview her um, to get more of her side of the story and the things that she faces on a day-to-day basis. She has glaucoma and she shares a little bit of her story in this episode. I'd like to apologize in advance as we recorded this episode in December using another audio source and it's a bit choppy and some of the Waveforms are non compliant with the audio. But if you stick around, you'll get to know Crystal the way that I know her, and she's an incredible person. So thank you for listening to Mermaid on Land, and thank you for listening to this episode. God bless. Hi, Crystal.
1: Hello. How are you today? Pretty good. Um, I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about us and our our friendship and how we met and I just wanna get a little bit of your story if you want to share. Sure. sure. And um before So um you and I met when we were in at A and we met in choir practice.
2: Well, no, actually, we met over the summer because we had a mutual friend, Carrie, uh, okay. gave me your number. Because we, I, her and I were friends in the seventh grade, and she knew I was transferring, transferring from God to Avail. You yes. we were talking over the phone that summer. Do you remember? Like, we talked all the time. <laughs> I actually forgot all about that until so you reminded me. That's true.
1: <laughs> until. We went to choir practice and I remember like scanning the room and trying to figure out who you were.
2: (laughs) uh, Yes, eighth grade. I see pictures and I'm like wearing my mom's Western wear from the 90s. You know, that's just what she did. And then I get to that school and I'm like, oh, nobody's dressed western. This is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely have our
1: little Our different style. I remember, um, I did not have PE because of my cerebral palsy, so I had the option to take double electives. Um, were you in band as well? No,
2: but I I didn't have to do bands, I had no problem, but I got, I took drama. I took the right. theater arts class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was fun.
1: That's the one part about the junior high and high school that I really banned in choir. was one thing that I, like, looked forward to. It's kind of like I can put creative energy into something rather than being in class, being bored. Right. Now, I
2: feel like I tried everything from junior high to high school, like, Junior high, I was a little shyer, but then high school rolled around, and I kind of changed my style completely and tried everything. Like, ninth grade, I did band for a year, discovered I didn't like band as much. Um Then grade, I just, I fell into, like, drama and French, and I loved both of them and just kind of, I don't know, I had guts back then. I mean, I still have guts now, but I wasn't really a first thing, so let's try it. <laughs> so I want to...
1: Um, Just kind of talk to you a little bit about, you. I know, problems, but did you, um, when you were a baby,
2: or did they just kind of sprout out of nowhere? Uh, No, I was very premature. I was born at 24 weeks. Um in the 80s they didn't know like nowadays when of be premature in the uh, NICU for so long they know to give them a shot in the back of their eye so that the oxygen will not disrupt the development of your eye and because I was in you know the NICU and, and in the children's hospital for the, I guess the first two months of my life my mom said and um, oxygen the other thing is what mess up my eye. Like, I have retinopathy of prematurity where your optic nerve and your retina nerve connect. Mine don't connect. So, my brain doesn't know that my eyes work right. My eyes don't know. So, their signals are crossed. So, even though I only have limited vision, I have vision in my left eye, but it still blinks and works and moves around like the other one, it just is slightly lighter color. But, you know, it's has been my whole life. I don't know, you know. Like, I, I'm sure for somebody who is fully sighted to lose vision would be devastating, but for me, it kind of looks the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine a few weeks ago about that kind of thing. I, I think i um, you know, but for someone to be, um, upright and fully abled and, you know, driving the car, and all, quote unquote, things, and then and then they lose the ability to do any of that. I find that would be a lot <laughs> more just and relearn um, who they are, uh, um, or lack thereof. Um, you know, adapt to a new normal. Um, so yeah, you bring up a valid point.
2: Right. Like now, um I guess when I have a daughter, I started to develop a cataract on my my good eye is what we call it, my red eye that I can see out of. Um, and then it progressed, And I was 35 when I was starting to notice real vision loss with it. Like I was going to the eye doctor. I could just get to the E, I couldn't go past that. And before I could, so then I had to have cataract surgery. But because I have um, ROP, my retina you know, interaction, and the blood off up my eye, most people have red. Mine are pale pink or white, which means they're dead or just not strong. So for me to have was risky. You know, it's like flipping a coin. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we can go in here and do this and you can come out fine. Or this could be too trauma in our sick eye. Mm-hmm. So I had a very amazing eye doctor that I trusted him completely. You know, he knew that, I, you know, I can't hold still like most people. Um because I have nystagmus, and it's really bad. So they went in, and he's like, okay, I'm going to give you a shot and make your eye go to sleep. And he held my hand, and he's like, do you trust me? And I said, yes, I trust you. So we go in to have cataract surgery, and I'm scared, you know, this is what I have in one eye. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's being quiet, and I keep you awake. So I started talking to me, and... I was like, are you okay? I said, am I okay? He was like, yeah, I'm thinking that this is going so well. He's like, your cataract split off like nothing. And he's like, your lens replacement went on like a dream. So we were also nervous. You know, my husband brought me home, and you have to be patched up for three hours before you can take the patch off. Mm-hmm. Well, we took my patch off, and everything was jumping. I was like, okay, man, something's wrong. So they called the eye doctor. He's like, no, no, that's fine, because if you're in a stagnant, you know, your eye just moves. It'll balance back out. And I guess I had no idea just that, that lapse and having that cataract, like how much I had lost. Hmm. Because I was reading like 2600 right at that point. When I took the cataract off, I was going back to 2200, which for somebody who has limited vision, that is a huge jump. You know, a huge jump in getting your light perception back. and being able to see what you're doing better and I don't know it's just one of those moments where I will never take for granted I have vision wise Mm -hmm. knowing what it could have been like you know had I not went through the surgery and, and, you know, had somebody who was an eye doctor who cared about me. He didn't look at me like I was money. He didn't look at me as anything else. Like I remember when he was when we were discussing surgery, he's like, I'm not telling you when to do this. You tell me when you're ready and if you want to do this. And to me, that spoke so much of his heart and compassion as a person versus looking at me with another dollar sign for a surgery. Yeah, that's really, you know,
1: people like that are really invaluable in in, in times, in, in these times, you know, to find doctors that look beyond the dollar sign or look at the person and and the human aspect of it. So that's great. I'm really glad that that was successful. Oh, me too. So I only have known you since junior high. Do you get from elementary, like that, That is what you faced? Um,
2: well, I don't know. Well, I lived in Hobbs growing up until um, fifth grade. And there, the world was different. You know, my parents knew everybody. Everybody knew me. I went to school where they knew I had a problem. And teachers were great. And the kids I went to school with were great. Like loved it. Had friends. Never felt different, until I moved here. Oh, well, not yeah. Well, here, Midland, Texas. Um, and I had to ride the bus for the first time, and I got a taste of what it would be like. And that was that was not fun. Um, you know, kids were just ugly. They trip me. They say mean things. And I was just like, what is, What is wrong with them? This is not. This is not what I'm used to, you know. So there definitely is a huge difference in where you live. Like, if you live in a small town where everybody knows everybody and, you know, there's a good support system and kids are taught better, yeah. we're just going to throw that out there. They're taught yeah. better. You don't encounter as much. And then I moved here, and it was like, what is wrong with you people, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: a lot of the bullying and a lot of the the um dish out from a place of fear and the unknown and just energy onto that. I know when I was, I want to say, I want to say in I used my motorized scooter to go to the restroom and I, it couldn't, it wouldn't fit in the handicapped stall. So I'm, I go short distances. So I parked my scooter and everything outside the stall. But when I came out, somebody had stolen my. <laughs> I just decided to distribute all of my school books from school. So for like a week, to do homework, and you know that's just. Uh, but I really think that it has um a lot, to do with and the unknown. But so, yes, I, I wanted to create. This podcast was to educate people and also to share their stories and their, and their, you know, their challenges that they face. Um,
2: and, you know, we can all learn you know. Oh, that's true. I mean, I did, you know, everyone, you know, has experienced bullying. Um, I, I don't know. I more, more think of this, like, growing up with a vision problem. I more think of stories that were like, Things that were special to me and I overcame. Like, I remember in the 90s, it was the big thing. And my parents took me, even though they were nervous, you know, okay, let's put you on roller skates. And I loved it. Like, it made me feel confident. It made me happy. Even I started, I guess, when my daughter hit the third grade and she was having bullying at her school, her and I would have Friday afternoon skate days. We would skate from four to six. And it helped build her confidence. And you gave us something fun to do together. And people are like, "Wait, You rollers look if you go to the Um But if you listen. You can hear when skates get too close to you. So you know, okay, I need to stop. Or I need to kind of like turn and look. Because I have you no know, peripheral vision. I have what's called tunnel vision. So I can only see what's in front of me. So listening really hard, like when I'm skating, and I can hear somebody close to me. I need to kind of be precautious. Uh, there's just something fun. Like, I don't know, I guess the biggest compliment people have ever given me is when I say they forget that I don't see good mm-hmm. because I do so many things, you know, and I'm just an outgoing person, I guess. And that, that come with having good parents that never let me feel different, you know, I wanted to ride a bike, wanted to climb in a tree, climb in a tree, you know, I wanted to do things. My parents like, okay, we're going to find a way for you to do this, and that was important. You know, and that was important to me when I got married and, you know, me and my husband ventured out learning, one, learning to live with somebody else because neither of us had ever lived with somebody of the opposite sex. Um, you know, it was an experience for the experience of both of us, but it was a fun one. And then, you know, bringing my daughter home from the hospital, and that was scary. <laughs> I did not want mom to go back to because I was like, please just stay with me. Um, <laughs> that was different. I mean, but I got the groove of it. Like, I was nervous to use formula so I got the pre-mixed stuff and it makes it up and set it all out and have it organized in the refrigerator on the shelf so I knew okay it's time to feed her I need to heat this up here's this I had a little uh bottle washing rack for inside my dishwasher so I could take bottles completely apart and put them in. I knew they were coming out clean and sterile versus you know doing them by hand and wondering okay did I leave something in there is it not clean enough um I things that work for you with anything. You I know, mean, even, I, I did have one person be like, uh, how do you do your makeup? I was like, by myself? <laughs> My husband's sweet <laughs> and kind, but I'm not gonna, you know, he doesn't have to do that for me. He does do the eyeliner though. Like, if we're gonna go around, I'm like, I need, I need you to fix the eyeliner. <laughs> I am
1: literally the worst when it comes to eyeliner. I, I do one eye really well, but it looks like I don't know.
2: It's, just, it's questionable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so. Well, it's hard. I mean, I mean, I can do it, Mom. And I have to, Um I actually have a friend that her and I've been friends a long time. We met at Vision Camp, which they take a bunch of kids in your age group on a four-day weekend. Um, a Boy Scout group and a Girl Scout group and your teens and you go and you learn different things from each other and you have a dance and it's fun. Her I like, you know what? I want to know to do our makeup. If we ever went blind and we could still put on our face. So we sat in front of each other no mirror and kind of, like, if you feel your face, there are certain parts of your face that you know are your key points for makeup. Like, you can feel where your cheek starts and goes off. And if your face, like a fish, there's your cheekbone and you just follow that line with blush. Um, with eyeliner, if you feel between your eyelid and your lashes, you can feel this little, your line of your eyelid, and that's what you follow to do eyeliner. Same thing with the bottom, which is line. You can feel it winger, and so you kind of, where you're supposed to trip. like if you didn't have a mirror. It's just, it's just kind of weird little things that, that are packed that, I can do this kind of funny. Like, my mom laughs. She's like, you can put on lipstick without a mirror. You can put on mascara without a mirror. She's like, it's just interesting. How have to use a mirror. And I'm like, well, I could do it in the dark if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to say,
1: say that about the that mascara because I'm when I focus in the mirror and, like, try to put the mascara on. I blink insensibly. But if I'm not looking in the mirror, then it's and. I don't know. Looking in the mirror it just trips me up, I guess. But if somebody's going to listen to this podcast, and they're going to like feel confident with putting on their makeup. And uh, because <laughs> <laughs> of your kids, ah. So i i I was telling a friend about this. Um, talking to her about this situation um with the uh principal A l Junior High. I won't mention names. Uh don't wanna defame anyone. But you have for emergency and you had to go to the emergency room in the middle of a very particular test. Um, oh,
2: yeah, that was that school system, uh the school system was their right test. Okay, I think that's stupid, for one. I mean, yeah. all, it shows, all it shows anybody is who can take a test and who can't. And the rules, like, what was like, do? Go and, you know, uh, can you give me the answers to this math problem? No. You know. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I know that was a fun it was a fun minute. We had a very, um, you know, protesting moment, which is good. <laughs> but the principal was just a jerk. One of the principals was nice. But yes. our particular question. Right? I loved him. Like, for,
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. He was nice, but the one for our grade level was
2: just. I don't know, that man had a but he was not not gonna budge for anything, and he was super rude when we took him the took him the the petition. Um, so yes. that was insensitive on his part, you know.
1: So for those of you that are listening and don't know the story, the story is that Crystal. Okay had to go to the emergency room during the middle uh, in the middle of a important uh, state test, uh, and
0: crystal had to go to the emergency room and the principal wouldn't allow her to take or finish the test and in order to move on to the next grade you have to be able to take the test told me this in the middle of a lunch
1: room and the book paper and pen, and I started to write a petition and In hindsight, I really didn't think that it would be and a couple of days later, we had something like five hundred and sixty something signatures um teachers and staff, and everyone had signed, so i took I took the the petition or someone else took the petition. Needless to say, Crystal got to take her, and she was able to move on to the next grade, and the principal never
2: spoke to me again. <laughs> well, and the <laughs> fact that, you know, if he wouldn't have me, you know, I love my honor society spot. You know, I was a, an A student, you know, and you had to take that test, too, to be put into your, like, you know, advanced courses and, you know, your different career, you know, options through high school. Yeah, he was a jerk. Yeah. Um, but no, that was a very cool moment. It was definitely one of those,
1: you know, moments you don't forget. Definitely not. and it's something that literally stuck out in my mind a lot. Like, if I can, you know, get a blind paper and just write out in a pen in my horrible handwriting, no less, and <laughs> get so many signatures, it was a exciting moment for me to go, you know what, I can change things. I can, I, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be a voice, you know. So, that was definitely a
2: Oh <laughs> uh, yes. I mean go ahead. It could be like I think about how different school is when we went and how it is now. Like with my own daughter, there's so much technology, different ways that you know you can do things now that just weren't accessible when we were you know, at that age. And and it certainly have been nice because it does everything is done on a Chromebook. So you can make it bigger, make it smaller, um, you know, or it's done hands-on. And I love to have that way. Like thinking about it now when we – the old days of the overhead projector. And I remember the teachers would have to give me like a desk copy of whatever they were put over it because it was too hard for me to take the notes. It was hard to see. I don't know. They just got my mind more up on
1: close. I remember like being like it, my uh, wheelchair would not fit. So they had you know set apart. Um, it definitely wasn't sixty at that time. <laughs> so um, but oh, I, yeah. I was in the classroom and parked my chair at the very very last thing. So that would be that way I could go in and out easily. There was no room, and but I really kind of uh, not important and not someone that they really wanted to, you know, and I I just kind of coaxed along because I didn't have enough confidence in myself. Did you ever have experiences
2: like that? Um, when I first moved to Midland, in the fifth grade, I had a teacher that looked at me like I was a nuisance and didn't want to enlarge my work and didn't want to give me a desk copy. Like, she did everything ever humanly possible to isolate me and treat me like crap. And I did that, but I had what was called a visual impairment teacher, and she for me. Like, she would be like, no, this is not right. You can't do this to this girl. She deserves to learn, just like all these other kids. You know, she's like, how hard is it for you to just make it a copy or to hit size fourteen font instead of ten, you know, to save on paper. Like she was horrible. Um I hated her class.
0: So when I moved on
2: to the next grade, I never had an I never had a problem with that except one teacher in high school I had to take government Fed Lee High School and I won't mention names of the teacher, but she was horrible. Like I'm not to take a test with a scant because the green is hard for me. She did wish. And to follow the line of the pen, well, she had me take the government test with it, and I got in line. I completely bombed the whole test. And the visual impairment teacher I had in high school, he was amazing, and I called him crying, and I was like, you know, I just bombed this midterm. I'm going to fail government. And he's like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, I'll be right there. He came up there, and he's like, he's like, did you not read your file? He said, the only thing you have to do for her is a desk copy of your overhead. And if there's a test, she is to run the test and you read it that way. She is not in any circumstances to use a Scantron. And yeah, I got taken out of that class and went to somebody else's class because she just was not having it. Um, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to have it either because that is one thing I will stand up for myself because I know has, you know, you have rights. Everyone has rights. Yeah. And if you have a special need, you deserve the same education as everyone else. My I always remember my dad saying that he paid taxes so that he paid the school salary and they were going to not discriminate me because, you know, he was not going to stand for it. My mom did not stand for it. And I'm very grateful for that because I've been the same way with my own daughter. Like if something happens, it's going, "Mm, we're not doing this. You know, you need to, we will do schools or we will switch classes or we will do whatever because, you know, school systems and some big establishments think you can just run over and it's going to happen. I feel like if
1: something like that were to happen now, the, that teacher that did that to you would have been fired. I feel like in the early, you know, like early 90s when all of that was taking place and it was just kind of like glossed over. And But now, there's such a um, social media has an impact on the... Because I feel like if, if you were a mom or, or you know, you had your Facebook or, you know, anything like that, you could have
2: posted viral and, you know, it would have been a thing. Oh, I agree. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, and even nowadays, I was, I worked at the Y A and I was a preacher and I even got discriminated against that. Like, I had a co-teacher who was horrible. I had a director that... Um, and so when I, when it was time to renew my contract, they didn't hire me back and they tried to sweep into the room run- because I told them I was going to call the American Disabilities Act on them. And, you know, they tried to reword it to where it was nothing to do with my vision problem. But if you asked any parent who had me as a teacher, I had glowing, recom- you know, they had nothing but wonderful to say about me. Their kids were happier in my class, that they liked the techniques I used to make sure everyone was, like, was accounted for and the activities and the stars. So, I mean, even even now, and that was, gosh, my daughter was in the second grade, so that was five years ago. Even now, you still still you, you, it. can be worth an in adults versus kids. Adults can be most judgy. And discriminating. And you would think it would be more like kid age and high, high school age versus adults. But now you get it with adults, too, which I'm sure you've had that happen to you,
1: too. You know? Yeah. What is the word I'm looking for? They have such a carefree, free-spirited corn, Santa Claus, 2 Fairy mentality. I mean, you believe oh, yeah. they're so you know, they're just kind of uh, manipulated in their own heads that they're just they're just not childlike. <laughs> so if we become adults, we we lose that um, aloof kind of free spirit, fun and hopeful. And I think that comes up because uh, they're curious; they want to know. You know, I got people I, kids kids asking, What happened to your life? you know, and parents will say, that's rude and I'm like, No I them to ask me it doesn't offend me because the more they know, you know, then they're they're afraid and then their buddies to be snapped on in life because they're not you know um you know,
2: so I always think that. Yeah. yeah, that's why I love T-Preschool, because my kids knew, like, if we were going to line up to go to an activity, we had the color worm, and each kid would be assigned a color, and there would be twos, so when it was time to leave, I'd count them by twos. Um When I would sit centers, first we're done color, and each kid would get a color, and it'd be like, okay, red crayons go to center one, and those group of kids would go, and then yellow crayons go to center three, we would just do things. Um, our own way and my class knew and so they they would be like, Oh, okay, Miss Crystal doesn't have five vision or she doesn't side, so when she says we need to line up and go put our hands on our in our color worm with a color. It mean, was basically broke with <laughs> hot glue to, and <laughs> Everyone had a color and so they knew. They were like, okay, go get on the worm and you know I would count them and so we would oh, know, okay, are these accounted for And then, you know, everyone had a color table. I mean, it was just little things, little things that helped. And it was easier, but the kids were so much more accepting that if I could have just worked there and had that class and not had to deal with adults, it would have been a dream job. Because I love arts and crafts and have movie-themed activities with, you know, with snacks and things. It was just fun. What about Harvard Center?
1: And when we were, when we were kids in Midlands, did you ever go to the Carver Center? Do you look at it? I think in the fifth grade, it was like twice. And it I think literally once in the sixth best, grade. <laughs> literally the best day of the year for me, consistently, from like second grade and on. I, um, it was just these very little, cool, um rooms that you would go into and do arts and crafts. I, I, more that day than I did the entire year. I, I, I don't know because it was hands on, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just wondered because I know you went to school in Midland, and you were ready that. Yeah, we moved to Midland halfway through the fifth grade.
2: No, hmm. so, um, but I went to the same elementary school from kindergarten to fifth grade, so I knew. The majority of the kids that went to my school and the teachers. So I think for most of my teachers, I was the first visually impaired student they ever had um, when we lived in Hobbs. The teachers was just amazing. One of the teachers, even, um, I had her in the first grade. And then I had her in the fourth grade. And then every time I would visit my grandparents in the farm, I would be her. And then in my adult years, we reconnected. And we would talk, and we were Facebook friends. And um when she passed a, um, it was really hard. Because I like had somebody that really knew me, mm-hmm. you know, from a young child to an adult. And so that, that was hard. But I think it's it's one of those things. I think, you know, in everybody's life, whether you have a disability or not, you have some people just kind of leave their imprints on your
1: heart, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some people, some people in my life that, that that if I didn't know them, I probably would have not be as independent as I am. Uh know, my whole "I can't do it" mentality, <laughs> like, uh uh-uh. uh. No, nope. <laughs> figure out a way around You know, um, I, if I'm not there, how are you going to handle this situation? And so I, I always think about that. Like, if somebody's not here, how am I going to handle this situation? So I've learned to adapt, um, you know, in various situations and kind of work my way around certain things that I deal cool with. I hate cooking. <laughs> so, um you were sharing with me some tips doing the kitchen that's easier for you. Um, would you like? Um. Well, like
2: my husband, he's really good about finding. I have a measuring cup with big print numbers. Um, I have a, stand mixer, I mean, not a hand mixer, a stand mixer that's vintage that my mom gave me. So that helps. Um, you know, you can use like a. Uh, I have a magnet that you could flip, and it kind of, like, went over. You can use that on, like, meat and stuff just to make sure it was all done. Lately, it's been I have my daughter check. I'm like, hey, there's no paint. Um, you know, you just find different ways to adapt. Like, if you are cooking, you can tell when certain things are done by the smell, like meat, noodles. You know, you take in the pot and throw it up against the wall, and it sticks. Your spaghetti's done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now there's a few things I've mastered, like I am not, and this has nothing to do with vision, I'm just not a very good pancake cook. Uh, my husband is the, the king of pancakes at our house. He can make fluffy, delicious pancakes on flat and like somebody ran them over. Um, they're not very pretty. <laughs> they're not meant to be pretty, they're meant to be eaten. Well, I don't know. His, his is fluffy though. Mine just look like something bad happened. I'm like, uh, this is a little crushed. I, this is okay. I, I
1: want to learn how to make crepes. I don't, I, I know it's like one egg. That's it. But for some reason, every single time that I try to make it, it's just just not good.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've ever made that. I mean, I can make a cake. I can make, like, certain things from scratch. Um, now, when I first got married, I didn't know how to cook a whole lot. Um, poor David was a good sport. He, we love spaghetti, um, eggs. I can make quesadillas. I can make a cheese. And at being 24, and I've never, never been away from home, it was kind of embarrassing that those few things I knew how to cook. <laughs> Over the years, I have branched out. I can cook a lot more now. But in the beginning, it was it was a little rocky. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I and I use a pressure cooker plus slow cooker. and There's a whole bunch of other settings that it has on it. Um, it's a thing to have. But the only thing that I've not figured out is that every time I release the pressure on the on the you know, but it's for the last few times that I've used it, it's been water or whatever liquid that is inside that I've it. And it'll just flatter all over everything. So <laughs>
2: oh, I'll figure that out eventually. How would you chat? like, how how to not splash <laughs> the Instapot juice. <laughs> it's really,
1: it's really, it's hard. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to, you know, kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um. I we get to talking, and we can talk for hours, so... (laughs) That's true. So, I just want to ask that you would like to share that I haven't asked about, or is there any... anything like that?
2: Um, I guess it's just if you do have a disability, you know, it's finding what works for you. You know, for me, I was just a very independent person. As in, you know, from a child on that I want to find my own way to do things. I wasn't, you know, one to play the vision card. Well, I do have a funny story when it's related to vision. Um, after I had my cataract surgery for my 35th birthday, my husband took me to see New Kids on the Block. And I'm a huge New Kids on the Block fan, gigantic fan. And we get back there, and I'm nervous, and I don't see good, and I kind of fall on to Danny and I'm like I'm so sorry he's like are you I was like yeah I'm just I'm just like I don't well come here let me let you feel my abs and I just start giggling like a 12 year old you know my husband's just laughing and kind I just of pass me around I'm like oh, okay because on the walk you can pass me around we so get to Donnie and he's very sweet and we get to the end where there's Joey McIntyre and I lose it like the 12 year old inside of me just is like I love you I still have your Barbie doll in my overnight bag and <laughs> She's laughing, and he, and you know, it's about me to hug me. Well, Donnie Walburn goes over there and he says, you take her picture with Joey. I'm like, are you serious? Really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, aw. So in my picture, like, I just have the goofiest smile ever, and you know, Joey McIntyre is just beautiful. I'm like, I love you. Um I think that's the few where I was like, okay, I don't see good. It, it paid off in a big way for me. <laughs> Uh-huh. but in a fun way. Yeah. And, you know, they had, like, um, this a couple years ago, and they posted pictures of, like, their favorite fans, and they put my picture in their little slideshow, and I cried. And I messaged them, and I told them they were mostly some of the nicest people I'd ever met, you know. And the fact that it was a very, you know, quick meeting with you, even though I couldn't see good and, you know, kind of let me walk through, and they had everyone and hugged them, and it was just awesome. Like I can just remember that, you know, and I think of, you know, it's. I hear horror stories of bands that aren't very nice at their meet and greets. So I think it's important when you can throw something out there about how nice band is when you got meet them. Which I know you you've the Backstreet Boys a couple of times and look oh. like they're very nice. I always hear pictures. i, <laughs> <In your> <laughs> picture. <laughs> I that
1: because I'm listening to. Well, I started listening to New Kids on the Block when I was nine. Mm-hmm. I pre- I pretty much. My sister her she had a friend her friend had the tape it was like clean, to them. I didn't want to leave their side because I wanted to listen to this gave it to me. And I'd run the batteries down and I would listen to the ribbon and the tape kind of withered away. Uh, but I I my love for boybins started with the new kids on the block. Yes. Yeah. Oh news I'm on the block. <laughs> <laughs> I got into the Backstreet Boys kind of you know, out of honestly country music and I listened to classic rock and Eagles and the Corner and you know, nineties country like John Michael Montgomery and Reba McIntyre and, and 1998 nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Um, country music started to sound the same. My parents would yeah, the radio, and they they could tell me. They would say, "Who is this?" In the first five seconds or thirty seconds in a song, I could tell you who sang it, where it was recorded. Like I I studied that kind of stuff. You know, I would read the back of the CD liners or the tape decks and you know where all this. You know, I was kind of a nerd in that way. <laughs> but um, it started to sound the same, so I got bored with country music you know, turned it on turned on Power One oh six point seven in, in Midland, Texas and I heard quit playing games. of this and I really, you know, I kind of got glued that. <laughs> and yeah, I've met Backstreet Boys I wanna say five or six years, uh open individually various times. Um outside of that. They are the nicest most um, and it's really refreshing because, just like you said, there's artists um who shall remain nameless who are really not they're known for very personable, so when you meet someone like New kids on the block or Backstreet boys like humble artist, it's really refreshing <laughs> it is.
2: New Kids on the Block. Oh, I think I had other yeah. cassettes when I was ten for Christmas. So it was my Joey McIntyre and Jordan Knight Barbie. Thank you, mom. And um, yeah, I played that thing till it broke. I had New Kids on the Block CD that I actually found in a box before. I went to go see New Kids on the Block. That's from the nineties, and I was like so excited to get. It. Sadly, they didn't find it, but it's okay because I love on the Joey McIntyre. So yeah. it's, it's all good. And I think as we were leaving the meet and greet, I just started crying. I said, like, "Okay." Hey, I was like, no, Timothy they were so naive I was like, I love them. <laughs> That's so sweet.
1: I, I'll, I'll just say a few more things about them, then you can some the about because I like this conversation. It's fun. I remember I had the pillowcases, and I had the poster on my wall, and there was a 1-800 number on one of the posters, and you could, like, listen to a pre like, yes! Yes! <laughs> I called that thing so many times, and my mom was like, You know, they're not actually on the phone, right? Like, you, they're on the phone, mom. Like, they're. Rec- yeah. She's like, You're recording. I'm like, No, it's not. It's, you know. Like, I was so
2: determined to not. You know? <laughs> yes! Oh, did you watch the cartoon? I remember my mom has a VHS tape at her house that says New Kids on the Block cartoon, Crystal's tape, and she would record uh-huh. it. For me, with yarn, like, we have so many VHS tapes at her house still that have, like, Dustin, like my brother's name is Dustin, and he loved Ninja Turtles, so his, his Dustin's Ninja Turtle tape. My little sister was little, she loved Rugrats, so it's like Breebie's Rugrats tape. Or there's, like, ones on there that says Saturday morning cartoons, 1989. And it's just, I don't know, it's funny. It made me think of that when you were talking about the 1 800 number. You know, kids nowadays. all the cartoons, <laughs> but I knew <do> really- it <laughs> It's YouTube if you ever want to watch it. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, Crystal, this was so fun. I knew this conversation, this podcast, was. Or we can go down on memory lane, and we can just talk about things and laugh and reminisce. And so I was really looking forward. you just appreciate, appreciate it so much. Oh, of course. Thank yes. you for inviting me on. I would definitely love to come back. <laughs> I just have um. Several things lined up, so I'll definitely reach back out to you, you know, and and get this again. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm gonna go ahead and end the call, but I'm gonna call you right back. Okay. Thanks. okay.